the holidays, food, family, festivity. It's intrinsic. It's in our DNA. This is how we get to celebrate and what we look forward to every single year. And while it might look a little bit different this year, I'll tell you what, the story of the Vesquez family and their restaurant called Miguel's Jr. is one that will warm your heart. They are a typical story of immigrants that came here from Mexico. And Mary, Mary Vasquez, one of the founders, used to cook with her mother and grandmother. And helping to prepare family meals helped her cut her teeth on the whole idea of homestyle cooking. And she brought that here to the United States with her family. Soon, her burritos became the best on the block. She was known for her tamales, for her pozole. And this time of year, that is exactly what their customers line up for. In this episode, we dive into their Mexican specialties, and we're going to talk specifically about tamales and pozole, two of the staples of the holiday season in the world of Mexican food, and understand how the family and their festive flair makes the holidays come to life. Now, don't blame me if all you want after listening is a big plate full of food. <laughs> Let's enjoy this one and the last episode of the year 2020. Hi, I'm Maria, otherwise known as the Fit Foodie. I'm a chef, holistic nutritionist, author, inventor, and mom. And I wanna welcome you to my podcast. It's called Recipes for Your Best Life. And with every episode, I'm peeling back the onion on fitness, nutrition, health, wellness, and family. The truth is you're the chef of your life. And for every important pillar, there's a great recipe worth sharing. So every week we'll explore them together. Think of it as food for thought that you can really sink your teeth into. So join me and let's squeeze the joy out of this life. Cause you only get one. Can I get a fork, yeah? I think we can all agree, life's way too short for boring food, right? It deserves to be filled with fresh, flavorful, mouth-watering dishes that you and your family are excited to share together. And guess what? Now it's so easy to broaden your cooking skills and try out fun recipes. And here's the best part. You don't need a bunch of fancy appliances to do it. With Panasonic's Home Chef 4-in-1 Multi-Oven, you can, get this, heat, fry, bake, and broil your way to foodie heaven. Yep, it's a microwave, broiler, air fryer, and convection oven all wrapped up into one appliance. So smart. So whether you're trying out a new food trend or your grandma's kind of complicated recipe or maybe a fusion dish you've been dying to try or maybe one of my dishes from my book, this multi-oven makes your cooking experience a really enjoyable one. So start thinking of all those recipes and dishes you've been dying to try out. Now's the time because this multi-oven makes even the most complicated recipes super simple. I love super simple. It's the four-in-one that inspires your inner chef to try daring new dishes with confidence. So to receive special offers, head over to panasoniccitchen.com and become a Panasonic Kitchen Insider. Mary and Javier, so nice to meet you both. 
likewise. So it's just uh, good. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. This time of year, it's all about food and family. And I know that I'm sure anyway, for your family, there are a lot of very specific holiday traditions that you look forward to every year. Can you share a little bit about your family's background? Well, my parents are going to be here in one channel. How the dates? The dates? July. Then when did you move here from Mexico? Oh, because I married my husband. What? And we moved back. Uh, I came in uh, November November um, 1st. No, I got married November 1st. We got here like November 3rd. What year? Um, 1964. So... That's what very, uh, the, the year is very important. <laughs> 1964. Yeah, that's awesome. November 3rd, 1964. So we, what we've done in the restaurants is we've uh, incorporated my mom's traditions from different parts uh, and, and put them with the food into, into our, what we do in our business. So, for example, um, tamales, which is a, a seasonal item this time of year. Uh, for many years, my mom we would outsource the production of those tamales. And I said, mom, yours are really good. Put them in the restaurant. And she gave me a dirty look or <laughs> you really want to do that because it's a lot of work. Mm. But um, over the years, we've always done that. For example, uh, our flan is from my mom's recipe. So all the things that we grew up, we grew up with and at home, we've eventually have made its way to our menu in our restaurants. And you know, that's not an uncommon thing. I think when people start a family restaurant and they want to focus in on the traditions um, that they loved so much while they were growing up, I mean, they want those same recipes, but then there's the, the time factor. What is it about the process of making tamales, for example, that you know makes it makes you kind of go well. Do we do we really want to do this in house, or do we just want to outsource this? Describe how you make tamales, well. It's a long procedure. You have to um, have the right meat, and you have to prepare the meat to your own taste. You have to make your uh, meat separate, and uh, it should be too cold, too hot, right temperature because. If you don't, your tamales don't, you know, they get spoiled. And um, and after you you have your meat ready and your, and your um, dough, then you start, you know, spreading the meat and the, and the husk and the tamal. And it's a long procedure, but it's, a, it's, it's worth it. It's very yeah, I, th there is nothing that excites me more around this time of year. And I'm not Mexican. My husband is half Mexican. And... Uh, our our whole you know December is dedicated to finding the best tamales in town. So I'm excited to try yours. Can I ask just a weird question? Is it tamal or tamale? What is the correct pronunciation? Because I've heard it pronounced both ways. Tamal is one. Tamales is more than one. Okay, you have solved the mystery. Thank you so much. Because yeah. I've heard people refer to the plural as tamal, so that is definitely not right. No. Thank you for that. You, you set the record straight for me and all the gringos out there. Um, so the process so of making tamales, if you were to do it at home, how much time are we talking? I know there's the preparation of the meat or if you're making them vegetarian without meat, maybe you're just doing sweet corn, for example, in Chile, maybe you're, um, 
just doing cheese. What are we talking about in terms of a time commitment from beginning well, to time, end? In time commitment, it takes at least three hours if you make out several, several flavors. Okay. Three hours. So, yeah, so it's a commitment, and usually there's more than one person working at it, right? Definitely. It's a, it's a, my whole family, they're 10. I love it. And I can yes. just see the picture because I'm Egyptian and growing up, it's kind of like making stuffed grape leaves for us. It's a whole process. You have to brine the leaves and that takes a few weeks preparation. And then you make the, uh, the filling and you roll them and the whole rolling process is very specific. So yes. when you get, when you, you know, this recipe that you have in your family, Mary, is this something that was handed down to you over generations? From my aunt. My From aunt. aunt. Yes, my aunt used to love to make tamales and I used to watch her and she used to tell, give me all the other hints, you have to do this, you have to drive your, your house because you don't, you, your dog is going to come, you know, very watery and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to lose the flavor. So that's very, very important to, when you make your tamale, the husk has to be dry. The husk has to be dry. Are there any other secrets that you have that you can share that won't disrupt the family recipe? Like what else do you need to make sure of? Well, make sure that the, also that the meat is not too dry and uh, it has to be on, on the right, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not complicated, but there's little steps. There's the steps. Meat, and, and the steps, yes. the, the little steps make the whole big pie, so to speak. And yes. the, that's important. How yes. many tamales do you serve at Miguel Jr.'s uh, over the course of the holidays? Do you have any idea? So last year we sold uh, 44,000 tamales. Wow. Um, so it's funny you asked. So we, you know, tamales are, the tamales have been in our culture for years. We've had tamale parties. Uh, we call them tamale parties. So every year, my mom and our family get together. We make tamales as a family. And those tamales, are, we have, we have uh, three more flavors. But I think one part that we're forgetting is uh, to warm them up or heat them takes about an hour. So it's a process to warm them up. And you can't, well, you can warm them up in microwaves, but they don't taste very good. So we, we use steam. And that, that, makes, that lasts about an hour to warm up a batch. Okay, so, in our so stores, you're using steam to, to get them warm again, obviously, so that you don't dry them out. And I'm right. sure how you layer them in um, to, you know, the, that's part of the process, too, to make sure that you're not steaming too many at once versus Correct. not enough. You stand, you stand them up upright. Ah. That's a little trick, upright. If you slam them down flat, they don't, they don't cook. Uh-huh. So all those little things that we do for every year, since these are seasonal for us, every year we have to retrain our, our, our crews and our, our stores because they have to remind them how to do it right and remind them that this is a process to, to warm tamales. And what's happened over the last couple of years is uh, a lot of brands are, now have tamales on their menus that didn't have, didn't have before. Right. So Costco, for example, or I was called local, or brands that I'll talk to, all these brands that for generate for years never had it, now they do. So the popularity of has gone has gone has increased. And that's where we're seeing the demand for husk has been uh, very high this year. And the price of husk have gone have, gone, have tripled in price because now there's a big demand for husk all, all of a sudden. So now tomorrow's have become, you know, more mainstream, like you said yourself. You know, in your culture, you don't have them, but you like them. And it seems to be growing in popularity uh, over the years. 
So, so getting the raw ingredients um, is difficult, especially these days. And then yes. making a great product for a price that people will, you know, pay gladly and enjoy and maybe still be competitive in the market. Um, what, what are the flavors of tamales that you offer at the restaurant? Have you ever wondered, is rinsing my produce with the water that comes out of the sink that I don't even drink enough to really clean it? Well, then you're one of the smartest people I know because you're absolutely right. It's not enough. That's why we created the only all-natural and patented line of food wash and wipes, and it's called Eat Cleaner. It's tasteless, odorless, and lab-tested, and it removes up to 99.9% of the residue that water can't, including pesticides, wax, soil, and junk that can carry bacteria that can really make you sick. Plus, we formulated it to help extend the shelf life of your fresh produce too, and that'll save you money. When your berries are lasting up to 10, 12 days, you know that's a good thing. It helps your produce last up to five times longer using a natural blend of fruit acids and antioxidants. So there's no chemicals, it's just clean, eating fun. And this can help save your family an average of over $500 per year. Make it easy on yourself, reduce waste, and get that fruit and veggies into your body, where it's gonna do you a lot of good and not in the trash. Check us out, eatcleaner.com, or head to our Amazon store at amazon.com forward slash eatcleaner. Right now we have uh, chile pork, sorry, chile rojo pork is a red pork, and we have a green chili, a green and uh, cheese, white cheese chili, a chili one, our non-meat version. Yum. And those are the two ones we offer, but we know, you know, those, my mom makes those plus three more, correct? Yes. I make chicken, I make um, peanut butter. Wait, what? Yeah. Peanut butter tamales. Peanut butter? That's Peanut butter tamales. That's no kidding. I, this is the first time I've ever heard of that. They're very good. But I buy the, the peanuts, not the peanut butter. I buy the peanuts and cook them. And, uh, and it's, it's my mother's uh, recipe, and I want to keep it. Um, hopefully, my kids, when I, when I start doing it, they continue because it's, a, it's an, on her own honor. And the sweet tamales. And they're sweet. No, and the sweet tamales. Oh, so good. And the sweet tamales, sweet tamales with corn or pineapple and uh, raisins. Many, many, many tamales. So the small, the the thing is, tamales have the uh, the raised tamales has grown over the years. So people are expecting different kind of flavors. We haven't done it yet, but we are thinking about doing a sweet tamale next year because I of think popularity. That sounds like a great. I want to try the peanut tamale. That sounds amazing. Peanut it's tamales. like a it's it's like a almost like a roll that uh -huh. we make. But again, this is a family. This is what we do in our family at home. Um, we can always test it in the marketplace, see how it goes, but. There's a wide range of tamales out there in the marketplace. Um, I think you should. I think you should survey your existing customers and say, if we were to introduce another flavor, what correct. would it be? <laughs> but so, the most traditional one out there you see the, is probably the pork, the red pork one. That's probably the most traditional one you see in the marketplace. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. And I think pork is a meat for sure. Are you seeing a growing number of people interested in non-meat options? I know that just people as they're trying to maybe get healthier, a lot of people are adopting a non-meat or at least, you know, trying to watch their meat intake. Are you seeing people asking for more vegetarian options? Well, that's why we offer the chili and cheese one. Yeah. That's why that's, it, it does. It, it sounds about 10% of the 90% is still heavily a pork one. Okay. Um, so people still our, want the super traditional pork. Correct. Exactly. Uh, and we haven't, in our customer base, we haven't seen that much request for the you know, non-meat items yet. But it, it, as you see, it's growing on a lot of menu items. A lot of, a lot of restaurants carry it. The Beyond Meat product is obviously probably the most popular one out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't tested it yet. Um, not yet, because we, have, we haven't had much demand for it yet. But I'm sure as time changes, it will be demand for it. And then it's actually a, better, a good product to be on me. And they did a good job with that. Yeah, maybe maybe 2021 will be the year. Um, I, I, I have a question about the husks. So you mentioned using the corn husks, which is super traditional for Mexican tamales. Have, would it be blasphemy to use something else? Is, it, is there a potential substitute? There is. Uh, it actually came out this year, um, and we tested it, and it just, the flavor profile just changed too much for us. Hmm. Uh, it's a it's a it's a, a paper product, um, and we tested it because you know the vent our vendor said hey you know by the way, husks are you know low de- are high demand right now because of the, a lot of competitors have to start using tamales. They said we have we vented we have a new product and we tried it and it wasn't very good. We hmm. we didn't care for it, so we decided to stick with the husk. Talking about all these tamales right now is making me super hungry, by the way. I just, I just, just want to note that for the record. Um, aside from tamales around this time of year, I know that there are other, you know, there are a lot of other Mexican specialties. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other offerings that you have in the restaurant, like pozole. Can we talk about pozole? Sure. So again, a traditional dish that's been in our, in our family generations. My mom always made it for holidays and birthdays, in, in, in birthdays and those kind of things. But in, in, the, in the QSR world, Pozole is not really out there yet. It's more of a full service or high-end restaurants. And again, like my mom, we have a great Pozole. Let's try it in the restaurants. So we did this for the first time last year and it was very successful, but for Pozole has been around for generations in your family. Many generations. I remember eating Pozole since I was a little girl. Can so we talk pozole. about what are, what are the, the must-have ingredients in a Pozole? Because I'm sure just like anything else, sometimes the, the ingredients or the approach to it changes a little bit. Well, Pozole is served usually with uh, either with lettuce or cabbage, um, you know, your preferences. And also with lime or lemon, I prefer lemon. And Some it's people, it's a it's a soup or a stew, really. It's much it's heartier than a soup. What what are the ingredients that usually go into the stew? We use um we use California chili, and uh, also we we can put for, to make it hotter. The little chiles uh, is called um, the larbol, the larbol chili. The larbol. Mm-hmm. The larbol, yes. Uh huh. And corn husk. And corn husk. Corn, and, and you husk. use the hominy, right? Hominy. You use the hominy. The yes. whole hominy, unlike yes. what is, you know, grits, which would be ground up, but the whole hominy. So you're having that whole corn product. Is there usually um, meat in it? Oh, yes. 
you can serve it with a, either pork or chicken. Okay. Only, only those two kinds of meats. My kids love pork, but uh, people that they are on a diet, they prefer chicken. And it's also very flavorful. It's good. And how do you make the, the base for it, the base for the stew? I know that you mentioned flavorful. It is maybe one of the most flavorful stews I've ever had. It tastes like it's probably cooked for a long time. It is cooked. The, the corn has to be cooked for a long time. My son likes um, the raw corn, but that's ah. very hard to make. I buy the can because the raw corn takes more hours to cook. But it's actually cook the cook it from yes. scratch. Yes, cook it from scratch. It is delicious. And um, you 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 prepare your sauce first. You cook the the corn for a long time, and then you meet the meat doesn't need too long, and you mix it together. You put your sauces and ready to go. And so at the restaurant, what type of pozole do you serve? Uh, we serve uh, chicken and pork. Red pozole. And pork. Is there a more popular one? Uh, most people like pork. Okay. Pork seems to be the popular across yes. the board for the tamales yes. and the, the pozole. I love it. Yes. Yes. Um, as, aside from those two dishes, what else do you offer at the restaurant maybe that is a family tradition that you thought, this is just too good to keep in our family. We need to bring it to Miguel Jr.'s. What, what else do you offer in December? We also offer... Um, well, in December, there's only two things we add to the menu. Right now, only two. Only Tomorrow is the pozole. You know, but year-round, we have you know, the thing that we're also famous for, a Chiriano burrito, which is a Riano-stuffed burrito, which is an item that we're, we're known for out in this, this market. Um, but you know, those are the only two things we have for, this, for the season. How about, then, um, how about in your own family? What are the things that you like to break out um, that you celebrate with in your own family? Well, we, we, we love mole in our own family. Mm-hmm. Mole is very popular. We have all kinds of mole. You can, you can Which make kind of mole do you prefer? Uh, right now, I'm working on the pipián, which is very good. It's a yellow, yellow mole. Yellow. But uh, we have green mole, yellow mole, and red mole. We have those three. And the mole, the negro mole. Uh, like the negro mole, I don't like it because it's too strong. Too strong. I, I, yes. Yes. I, I like, like it, it though. Uh, personally, like it. I like it. I, okay. It's a treat though. It's not something yeah. that you could eat every day. No, no, only once in a while. So, I, do, I, do, I, I do the, I cook the red mole, not the not black mole. So what we do in our family, if we feel it's a recipe that mom's made, we test it and then we have to we produce it and put it in the stores. So why I, I, I jokingly say she's the chief recipe officer, in some ways that she is, that's her role. Mm-hmm. Because of, of you know, my parents founded the business in 1973, but they don't have any, any day-to-day operation oversee a business, but... As far as the recipe development, I'm also heavily involved in that. Yeah, so. and and I think I think that's a beautiful bridge because you're you're honoring the tradition, and then you're making it so that it can be used in more of a commercial setting. Because I think the thing um, that for our listeners, if you've never operated a restaurant or worked in a restaurant, you know there may be great ideas, but the execution of it and the ability to make it consistently. 
um, that good over and over again and make it so that it actually works within your margins and all of the other business considerations that you have to take. You know, that's all, that's all the magic of making it work in a restaurant environment. So the, yeah, we're fortunate, we're fortunate because what happens is once my mom or we approve a recipe, my sister, that's the hard part. She takes it from there and then she figures out how to mass produce it. Mm. And then that's, you're absolutely right. The, the business side of the equation, because there are some recipes that are, you know, cost prohibitive to put it in a fast food environment, but in a full service environment, or other environment, maybe so, but not in a fast food environement. So that's, there lies a fine line is when you start recipe development, it's, it tastes great. Can you make it for 20 restaurants? That's, that's, that's an art. And that's what my sister takes over from there. Yeah. So it really is a family affair. I, I have to ask you both, and don't look at each other when you answer this question. <laughs> I'm going to ask Mary first. Mary, do you enjoy um, sharing your recipes and seeing them come to life in the restaurant? Uh, I like to do it, but just um, you have to be careful because uh, those are my recipes that uh, I don't want any, anybody to have it. Yes. You have to be private and you have like some people want all the ingredients and that's my recipe. That keeps you successful. You have to keep your own recipes. I love it. I, I love the protective nature of, mm -hmm. of what you just said because people don't yes. realize how difficult it is to yes, it actually is. develop a recipe and make it really successful. Yes. So Javier, how about you? What's it like to have this family business legacy that you get to take care of and carry on? Well, it, in some ways it's, uh, it's different than a, a normal business because it's a family business. And so there are, um, you know, we have to learn how to work together and, and learn how, how to um, develop and, and continue to grow the business. So for example, my parents started the business and then transferred to us so my, my siblings and I, and the next thing, do we, what happens next? We're not sure yet, but at least it's, 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 skipped, it's been transferred to one generation. Mm -hmm. And then now we are, we find ourselves in a role where we want to grow our business and infuse my mom, continue to feel my mom into the business, but in a role where she feels comfortable and that she can still co contribute and participate and uh, not have, not have the stress of the, running the business every day, but at least having a role in that business. So it's proud for me to sit here and tell you that, I you know half hardly say chief chief recipe officer, but really she is. Yeah. Um, and then you know the, her flavors are what makes us successful, and you know that that drives our business. You know, we make we make mistakes sometimes on service. We make mistakes on certain things, but really our, our, at the end of the day, it's a food that helps us and grows our business. And people enjoy the recipe, the flavor profile. So in some ways, you know, is it's her recipes that are driving our growth of our business, and having her participate even. You know, she's, we've been in business for 47 years and to sit here and talk to you right now, 47 years later, I don't think my mom and dad envisioned that, but now, that's where we're at now and how we last for another 50 years. So really it's about the flavors and about the, you know, the flavors that take charge that drive our business. The flavor, and that, and, the flavor and the, the flavor in the family, I would say, right? Correct. And, you know, and again, it's second generation. So, and then you read a lot, unfortunately, a lot of times it's, that's when things start falling apart, but we're actually growing and we're more successful than we have in the past for a lot of reasons. And we're infusing the menu with items that we grew up with that are more, are more traditional and the palate is changing and people are enjoying the range of, of a diverse, diverse food in our menu. 
Um, I love and it. You and, know, you know, being in Southern California, this is just such a an intrinsic part of our cuisine here. It's it, Mexican food is basically Southern California food. So Correct. I think I think for us to be able to enjoy a little bit of variety within that and have you put your own personal stamp on it is amazing. You know, as we get uh, to the end of our interview today, I have a question that I always ask my guests and I'd love for each one of you to answer. I'll start with Mary. Mary, if you could have any dish prepared by anyone with us or maybe not with us, what would the dish be and who would make it? Chile rellenos. Made by? Mm-hmm. Yes. Who's gonna make it for you? Uh, oh, my daughter Sylvia. Oh wow, that's for that's a huge honor for your daughter. Yes, I'd <laughs> love it. Yes. How how about you, Javier? So I'm gonna go non-Mexican food. I'm going to Italian food because that's my second favorite food. Uh, is is uh, Bottura. He's a yes, boy. Yeah. To have Massimo Bottura make a meal for any of us would be quite a treat, wouldn't it? Correct. The guy and what, would, what would the meal be? Uh, I'm a bolognese, something the, the possible bolognese, something like that. Yes. I always, I, I'm always intrigued how he can uh, infuse different items in his food, and that, and you'll see as you, the explosion of cooking in, in on TV and blogs and learning classes. You'll, I see. I think the future of cooking, we blur, the lives will start blurring a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what is so unique about him is he's able to also transform classic Italian dishes and create something completely whimsical and um, and something beautiful to see, but it's still, the, the flavor is still, you know, the star. Correct, and that's what my mom's cooking. My mom's not a trained chef by no means, but she her profile and flavor is very strong and very dominant, so that's what we're using that. And I think customers enjoy that now. Um, you know, more so than anything than before. And especially in this environment where a QSR business is really, you know, driving because of drive-through and, and you know, since now the full-size restaurants have been you know, basically closed for, are going to be closed for a while, they can still enjoy quality Mexican food in drive-through environment. Yes. So, so everybody check out Miguel Juniors if you are in Southern California. And if not, what's a, what's a way for people to stay in touch with you? Well, even Facebook and Instagram, of course. And then one day in the future, we'll be able to send reels to other states, but we're not there just yet. Okay. Well, everybody can follow you now in hopes of being able to taste a little bit of Miguel Correct. Juniors. Thank so you, you both to... so much and happy holidays. Well, thank you. Same to you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I know you have a lot of choices out there of what to listen to, what to watch, so it means a lot to me that you're here with me. And hey, if you love this content, would you hit the subscribe button? I want you around. I don't want you to just show up for one episode and leave. I want you here, part of the conversation, a seat at this table. And while you're at it, would you share this with your friends and family? And if you take a screenshot and share it on your social media with a hashtag RFYBL for recipes for your best life, I'll make sure to personally give you a shout out and you may just be featured right here on the show. So until next time, here's to living deliciously and being the chef of your best life.